Welcome to the How Writers Write podcast, a show focused on inspiring and empowering you to become a better writer. Come along as we deconstruct the tips, routines, and motivations of your favorite authors. In the end, it's all about getting your story onto the page. Welcome to episode 107, How Maurice Ruffin Writes. This is a long-awaited for me to publish episode. I've had this one recorded, and I have just been so excited to bring in the world. So let me tell you a story. I first came across Maurice's Twitter profile, and I was like, who is this person tweeting so many wonderful inspirational and thought-provoking messages and I just was so filled up. I was so encouraged and I was so just exhilarated reading his Twitter that I was like, I got to talk to this guy. So we did a fantastic podcast and I am so excited because Marie shares so much great information in this podcast and his spirit and his soul and just his... (laughs) His deep desire to support writers is apparent from the very first moments. If I could tell you the perfect kind of guest, the type of guests I love to have on the show, Maurice would be the top of that list. We're going to talk about all sorts of things in this episode, how he creates, um, how he finds inspiration, how he pushes through. This is a great episode, and I'm excited to share it with you. Before we get started, I just want to say thank you once again to Maurice for his time, for sharing so much with me. And now, my friends, without any further ado, here is the interview with Maurice Ruffin. Welcome to the How Writers Write podcast. I am your host, Brian, and I am so excited for today's guest, Maurice Ruffin. Maurice is the author of The Ones Who Don't Say They Love You, which was published in August of 2021. His first book, We Cast a Shadow, was a finalist for the Penn Faulkner Award, the Dayton Literary Peace Prize, and the Penn America Open Book Prize. Maurice is the winner of several literary prizes, including the IO Review Award in Fiction, a New Orleans native. Uh, Maurice is a professor of creative writing at Louisiana State University and the 2020-2021 John and Renee Grisham Writer-in-Residence at the University of Mississippi. Maurice, welcome to the show. So excited to be here, Brian. Thanks for having me. Thank you. I, I, came, across, um, I came across you originally because you have, just throwing it out there for anybody who is on Twitter, I think one of the most uplifting and wonderful accounts to follow for storytelling. So um, I came across you on there and I started getting into your work and then I started reading your books and I was like, I have to talk to this person. So I am personally uh, so excited to, to, to chat with you. And here's where I want to start. I want to go as far back as we can um, in your journey and ask you, what kicked off your storytelling journey? Was there a book? Was there a moment? Was there a movie? What was it? that awakened this desire to tell stories? Wow. You know, it's a series of things. Um, That's such a wonderful question. And I think it was several moments. So first of all, apparently when I was maybe 12 years old, I didn't do that well in English. And so my mother and grandmother conspired to 
buy me a bunch of books and work with me over that summer to just read all summer long. I must have read, you know, five or 10 books. And it changed my life. Mm -hmm. um, around the same time, I had to do a summer theme in class. And the teacher picked my theme out. It's like, hey, I want you to read this in front of the entire class. Then about two years later, um, when I was in high school, I had a similar experience. And I guess the universe kept telling me, you know, you actually know how to tell stories and people will be entertained by your stories and be enlightened by your stories. But I didn't listen. So I took mm -hmm. 15 years to start really writing properly. Um, but certainly I've always had a love of storytelling, of film, of comics, of TV shows, of people talking one on one. And to be a part of the, the, the sort of universe of storytellers is um, a great privilege to me. So you said it was 15 years after you first had that like desire first where kind of um, realized that story was a thing until you actually write wrote seriously. Like were, were you an adult by then? I'm guessing, I mean, I'm guessing <laughs> you weren't, you weren't 17. Yeah. So, so uh, what, what was the big break? Like what, what happened 15 years later? Somewhere in that span in my twenties, like many people, you, know, you, have, you have a lot of energy in your twenties, but mm -hmm. you don't have a lot of certainty. And so I have had the fortune of having different careers. I, I am a lawyer. I've been a corporate lawyer. Mm. I own a restaurant. I've been involved in politics. I've been involved in kind of um, lawyer organization uh, administration. Um, I've done a lot of things. Um, but somewhere in doing all those things, running back and forth and just sort of trying to different hats, so to speak, um, I began to write like just very short things, a page here, a page there, a plot summary. And finally, I was like, you know, you keep doing this. And this is the one thing you haven't really committed yourself to. I, I had gone to school for law. You know, I had become a part of organizations that paid dues. But I didn't really put much to my writing. So I began to buy books, you know, craft books. I began to read a lot of books that I just had missed over the years. And slowly but surely, I began to write my own stories. And um, I wasn't sure what I was doing, but if felt good. It felt like I had to do this. And at some point in that experience, um, there was no turning back. It was like, you know, if, I, if I'm not writing, I'm not happy. And once I passed that threshold, I knew what I was here for. Oh, I love that. What? It's interesting to me, right? So um, being someone who's a lawyer, which I, I don't know what it is about lawyers and writers. I've done, I've said this a couple of times on this show. Like I've, I've had maybe a dozen people on the show who have also been lawyers who've then transitioned to being successful novelists or something about the law school rigor that, that I guess translates well to, to writing fiction. But um, what was it for you that held your attention, right? I mean, like you did some pretty cool stuff. Running a restaurant sounds exciting. Being a lawyer uh, might sound exciting. I mean, it depends on who you are, I guess. Doing all those things, you know, it, it sounds like there were so many things that couldn't keep you. And yet, what was it about storytelling that just grabbed you? I really feel like, um, like there's so many things that are out there in the world that just do what they do. You know, birds fly, fish swim. Uh, there's this new album by The Weeknd that's out and Jim Carrey is like the narrator of the album. And then the very last song is a poem that Jim Carrey does. It's actually a very good poem, I think. Um, mm. And there's this one line in there about, you know, flowers don't question. They just open their petals towards mm -hmm. the sun. And I think that for artistic people, it's a lot like that. You really can't explain why you're doing it, mm. um, but you're doing it. And I just know that for me, I've done a lot of things to varying degrees of success. I've had a lot of fun, I've had some hard moments, but I really feel like it doesn't matter with writing. 
what the outcome is. Just the act of it itself means something to me. And I think there's something about it being natural to me. You know, if, if you mm. are naturally fleet of foot and you, you can run fast, you know, you just do it. If, if you are great at math, you just do it. And I think um, with writing, it's such a natural thing to me just to sit down and just start to put together a story that um, I don't question. Even when the story doesn't work the way I want it to, I, I go, okay, you know, let it rest for a while, revise it and see how it feels then. I always feel like I'm somewhere in control. I'm in my, my meeting when I'm writing things. Yeah. It's it's so interesting. It kind of brings up, <clears throat> it, it makes me want to like touch on maybe a, a weird paradox in a way where I, I mean, you're, you're right. It's such a, it's such a beautiful thing. Like flowers bloom. That's what they do. Writers write. I mean, that's interesting because that's half the, or three quarters of the two thirds of the name of the podcast. Um, but what, what is it that on the flip side makes writing, even for those who are like, I'm here to tell stories that makes it sometimes so challenging. What is it then if we're here to do this, why can it, why is it sometimes so damn hard to do? <laughs> <laughs> I think it was Mark Twain. This is one of those things I think I'm misquoting the person, but I think it was Mark Twain who, you know, wrote a letter and said, hey, you know, this letter is five pages. It would have been one page if I had more time. Mm. Um, I think that writing is harder for writers for a lot of reasons. Um, to your point about there being a lot of lawyers who become writers, for example, I think that in our culture, in our society, we encourage people to do a lot of things. You know, so, for example, if you're just a, a great singer, people will kind of go, oh, you know, go ahead, girl, go ahead, make sure you sing as much as you possibly can. Same for acting. If you're good in business. If you're really smart, um, mm -hmm. like math and science, be a doctor, be an accountant. But I think with writing is, is more mysterious. People don't know, know what to do with writing. And so as a result of that, a lot of writers end up doing other things for a period of time. Sometimes they, just write, they, they, they don't write their entire life. I think that because... Writing is so important to us, it's a bit harder than it is for non-writers. So I think that when writers are, are considering going to their writing desk and starting a new story or starting a new poem, there's this anxiety that takes place of, you know, am I worthy of the writing desk? Mm. If I do this, will I pay respect to the writing? When people read this, will they respect the writing itself? And if I don't pull it off, will they look down upon me? Um, those feelings are, are valuable, but I think that to some extent because the the sort of societal rewards can be elusive. There's not as much, there's not as much money to be in being a writer. There's not a lot of fame in being a writer. It, it makes people more hesitant. And also like writers' personalities. If you're a singer, you're probably an extrovert. You used to go out in the crowd, just letting it go. If you're a writer, you're kind of like, you know, hiding in the corner, watching the group of people do their thing, overhearing the conversation. So all those things together make it a bit more difficult for writers to get going, I think. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, you make you make such a good point. Like there's there's something about the writing life that's so inherently enjoyable and wonderful. And yet something that also, you know, um Stephen Pressfield calls it resistance. You know what I mean? This thing that is just keeping you from moving forward and stepping into this. I don't want to say identity, but, but for a lot of people, that's kind of, it's part of how we slice ourselves. Right. I mean, that's, that's part of the way we, we say this, who I am, I'm a writer. Um, and so it, it's always interesting to, to hear how one, how do I say it? Almost can sit with it. Does that make sense? Like it, it's almost, you have to sit with some level of discomfort being a writer, just in the inherent act of writing. Do you find that in your life? Oh, absolutely. You know, it, <laughs> You know, this is a synchronicity because literally I'm writing an essay right now about that, about 
this idea of sitting in silence. Mm. Um, because, well, first of all, for the reasons I stated before, I think it's hard for some people to call themselves writers. Like I know, for example, mm. I have been writing for maybe half a decade, if not more than that, before I say it out loud, I'm a writer. Mm-hmm. I think the reason why is because, again, you know, if, if, like I know from my personal experience, if I said I'm a lawyer, people would just kind of guide it immediately, you know. If I said I owned a restaurant, they were like, oh, that's really, really cool, you know. Mm-hmm. But if you say you're a writer, they, they're a little confused. They're kind of like, well, have I read your books? You know, have they made your <laughs> stories into films yet? You know, and they're kind of asking, like, are you crazy? Are you really a writer? Have you, <laughs> do you make a living doing this? What does that even mean? And I think for a lot of us, because there are relatively few writers in the world who are successful at it, we even have a hard time identifying role models. You know, they're the people that we love. Like, we love their writing. Like, you know, I, I grew up loving Toni Morrison's writing. But I didn't see her as a role model in terms of, I, I can do that too. And she was so good at it. And she was so distant from me. And so if you're lucky you have role models in your community, you kind of go, oh, I can do what they're doing. But for most of us, it's like you hide and hide and hide until you're ready to come out as a writer. That's so interesting. I've never um, thought about that before. This idea that we love the writer's work, but they don't typically become a role model for us. Like that, that's kind of like making my head spin a little bit. (laughs) What? Why is that? Like, as you're saying that, it's like so abundantly true. I don't have any role models and I should put like role model like in parentheses, right? But I don't have any role models that are writers. Like I love so many writers work, but there's none that I'm like, oh, I wish I was them. Like what, what gives there? Like what, what's causing that? Is Well, that's a, you know, it's funny. I never thought of that question that way where you put it, but I think it may have something to do with the fact, and this is going to sound strange, but it's the idea that writers don't actually write stories. You know, I remember it was um, the woman who uh, wrote Eat, Pray, Love. I think the smartest thing she ever said was this idea that in the old days, um, they didn't say you're a genius. They said you have a genius. If you're an mm. artistic person, the sort of spirit of the art takes over your body and uses your body to put the idea into the world. In some strange way, I feel like stories are somewhere above the human experience. Like if floating in, in the clouds and writers kind of bring them down from the clouds and put them on a page to be read by people. But, you know, if you're watching a singer who can dance, you know, for example, like say James Brown back in the day or something like that, you know, you're admiring that because there's something singular and very uh, viscerally human about that. But stories are ethereal. Stories exist somewhere outside of space and time. And so in, in a way, I almost feel like, like I'm not comfortable taking credit for the story because my ancestors made it or because some spirit made it or some other thing made it that I keep my finger on. I, I almost can't believe we're having this conversation. So I've spent the past, I want to say 110 interviews for this podcast at this point, asking this question, where do stories come from? And I've gotten a ton of different answers, right? From all sorts of different authors, you know, you know, some writing, you know, every type of genre you can think about. And I believe it's funny that, that there's some, that there's like a, is there like a book out here about this? Like the, whoever wrote the E pray love, did she like write a book about it or something like that? Like, I believe exactly what you just said, whatever you just said, if you put that in a church, I'd go to that church. Like that, that's, that's what I believe. I believe like we have a shared, um, human, like almost like repository of stories, like, like that they exist somewhere. Um, and they almost pick the person for some reason they pick you and they're like, I want you to bring me to life. And I don't know why they do what they do. I, I don't have any answers, but 
we just we just show up with the best we can with our skills and try and get out of the way and just let the story flow through us. Um, and so for you saying that, I'm like, yes, that's exactly, exactly it. So, so what is that for you then? What does that mean? If that is true for you, what does that mean for your relationship, both to story and then to your relationship to like the craft of story then? Cause it changes it a little bit, right? It's not about like, you're not creating anything at that point. You're just kind right. of interpreting. <laughs> well, you said it well, I mean, you said the story chooses you. And you yeah. want to get out the way and use your abilities to craft the best you can. So, you know, I think of mostly all of my work as a channeling exercise. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure if this is like if a, if a given protagonist is like a spirit from the past or from mm-hmm. some alternate reality or from some repository somewhere. I'm trying to call forth that spirit as much as I can. And then when I have that voice in my head, I'm trying to use the techniques I've learned to bring that voice into this world in as clear a way as possible. So that if anything, that's taking the pressure off of me. I think when I was starting out, I feel like mm-hmm. I'm creating this story mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. the responsibility is on me to make sure it's you know, so great. I, I, I'll get really jammed up. Um, but as I've matured, you know, again, it's like, this is not really me. You know, I'm just in this spot, almost reading the story out to you as it's being written because it already exists. Where does it exist? If we knew the answer to that, we could explain the afterlife or the before uh, life. You know, I, I just think that there is something beyond space and time. You know, some call it God, some call it faith, yeah. some call it, you know, the matrix or whatever that thing is. I think that we're not designed to really know exactly what it is. Some people profess to know what it is. I think it's not that important to know what it is. I think it's more important to know that it exists hmm. and that mm-hmm. it wants to be tapped into. A professor friend of mine here, uh, Professor... Um, Barrett, Chris Barrett, she always says that knowledge wants to be shared. Now, paraphrase by saying that stories want to be shared because mm-hmm. stories are a kind of emotional technology that we use to bring ourselves closer and closer together. If war is the exact opposite of that, it pushes us apart. Stories mm-hmm. do the right thing. They bring us together. Yeah, yeah, totally. I mean, that that was a thought even this morning. I tried um, crafting a really smart tweet about it, but I wasn't smart enough to like, be punctual enough, you know, but, but I, I had that exact same thought this morning, which was like, if you had to look at a percentage of the information or like just overall space taken up by story in our modern life, like it has to be astronomical. I mean, everything we interact with is a story. I mean, every ad is a story. Every TV show is a story. Every book is a story. Even when you're talking to somebody and they're telling you about what happened in their day, that's a story. And it, and it, it was like, kind of this mind-blowing thought of how ubiquitous and broad story is within every single little facet of our life. And then being like, and yet it's also this thing that has this unbelievable spiritual density. And I just, I spun out like my, my brain just, it was like, just nuked. You know what I mean? I couldn't go any further. Um, I, I'm totally with you though. Sto- story has um, I, I was just, I just did a show and I was saying, like, I'm going to spend my whole life trying to think about the relationship of story with our journey, our short journeys we get here on this planet. And I know I won't get very close, but it's such a fascinating and dense ugh, topic. Anyways, I want to ask you about a, a tweet you wrote recently, because um, again, you have just, just, I love your Twitter so much. I like look forward every day to opening Twitter. 
to see what you're tweeting. But you wrote something that was really interesting, and I wanted to unpack it with you on the show. Um, I'm going to read it for you. You you tweeted to write anything worth reading, you must access the deepest recesses of your spirit. And I wanted to ask you first just to unpack that a little bit. Like, what makes that um, true? What makes that a, a storytelling kind of like piece of this puzzle? Yeah, well, if you can imagine the worst case scenario in which you have complete and utter writer's block, you can't even get a letter on the page. And imagine that, you know, not always, but to some extent, that is a matter of selfishness. You're thinking so much about yourself hmm. and about what you need and what you want that you're just riddled with anxiety. And then think about a metaphor. I heard this years ago, and I, I think it's true. They say that mushrooms are not just mushrooms. They're part of a system that is spread out under the ground. So if you see one mushroom, really, if you were to dig up all the dirt there, you might see like a 20-foot like wide you know, root system for that mushroom. And other mushrooms are all part of the same thing. If in some strange way we like, we're like mushrooms, we people, imagine that um, in your daily life, you're this little tiny mushroom poking up from the grass. And you think that you're all there is to your life. But then if you know what you actually are, the roots of you go down to this gigantic thing that is beneath the surface. You can't see it. You can't really hear it. You can't touch it. But that something is the soul, its story, it's the ineffable. And for writers to write well, I think, usually you have to get out of your way and stop thinking of yourself as the mushroom, but it's a part of this larger thing that is out of sight. And when you do that, I think that's when you're tapping into what we call humanity. Mm. How do you do that? What does that process look like for you? It's not always easy. Um, I find that I actually need to be distracted to get to that place for some strange reason. Um, I'm not a great meditator because my, my brain just it spins really, really fast. So because I'm the opposite of what you might expect, for me, it's a day in which I might wake up and read 20 pages from some book or you know watch a 30-minute anime cartoon or you know, go for a jog or listen to some music. And somehow those things will get me loosened up to the extent that I can sit down at my writing desk and then go, okay, you know, what's going on? What am I into? I'm writing a short story right now. Is it part of a book I'm writing? Is it an essay? Is it, is it a poem? And then I'll just start to literally type whatever that thing is, knowing that I haven't quite touched it yet, usually. That first draft is usually me just feeling out the voice, trying to hear it as clearly as possible. And then I get to a place where it's like, okay, now I'm hearing this. This is not me anymore. This is somebody else, somewhere else. And thank goodness for that, because now it's really strong. Mm. Man, it's just such a mystery, isn't it? I mean, every time, every time I I start to like actually think about the words that you're saying, you know, you're essentially saying you're having like an out of body experience while being alive, and the work. I feel this all the time. The work I produce when I'm Brian in my own brain is is god awful. I mean, it's like nearly unreadable. It's so bad. And yet every once in a while I can get out of my own way and produce something that's still pretty bad, but it's better, you know? Mm -hmm. And it's such a weird, interesting, like, it's so interesting to think that like, there's some transition, some sort of transformation happening in that process where we are replaced with something like, am I saying that right? Is that, is that a fair thing that we're being replaced with something or are we, how would you phrase that? I should ask actually. 
Yeah, it's just that like, I think there's a, at least a couple of films with a title similar to I'm Not Here. I think there was mm-hmm. like the Bob Dylan, you know, fictional film. And then there was the uh, Jacqueline uh, Phoenix film also. Um, I think there's this feeling, I know actors will often tap to this, mm-hmm. where they will say, you see them on stage as a performer, and they don't even recall being up there. Like they remember you know, learning the lines, learning their blocking, but then on the stage, this character takes over them. Um, and they're, it's not autopilot, it's, it's the opposite of autopilot. It's being so far into the thing that you're not thinking about it anymore. Um, jazz musicians describe a similar experience. Uh, Barry Sanders, the football player, the running back from the 1990s. I remember you know, he Barry, would, yeah. yeah. He would say that he was so good because he just he stopped thinking about running and trying to avoid people. His body took over. And so I think that there's something about us people. It's like a, it's a second wind or like a, a like a next level gear within ourselves where we are at our best. We sort of release ourselves from our corporeal bodies and just let whatever that is happening inside of us do its own thing. You've given me so much to think about. Um, like all this is going to be rolling around in my head for who knows how long. Um, I, I have one last question for you, and I've been asking this question a lot because it's just so interesting and kind of under discussed, I feel like, at least on my show, but just in general in the writing life, which is how do you approach your theme? Um, Do you think about theme for each book? Do you have a theme that you're kind of always wrestling with in every piece that you're working on? Um, Do you just let it roll and just see what comes out when you're writing? Like, like what's, what's your relationship with, and again, theme is in like (laughs) quotation marks. (laughs) No, I love that question. And I love how you asked that. It's making me think of it in a way I have not thought of it before. Um, if you could imagine that each of my short stories and poems are like a continent on a planet, on Earth. Mm-hmm. So that's my stories. And then my books, like the planets themselves. So We Cast a Shadow, my first book is like Earth. And my second book, The Ones in the City Love You, is like, you know, Venus. Um, and then you keep pulling back and pulling back and pulling back until you're at the uh, solar system or the galaxy level, right? The galaxy in which I operate as a writer is a galaxy where I'm trying to tell the stories of the people within my community and the voices that are really heard. Mm-hmm. So you will not really see me writing stories about, you know, the richest man in the city of New Orleans, right. you know, or you know, some person has like everything together and they get all this respect and that kind of stuff. I'm trying to dig out the tales of people that you see, you know, if you go into a Popeye's in New Orleans or you go to a Saints game and it's somebody working, you know, you know, selling you beers and peanuts, that kind of stuff. Or the kids on the streets who are, you know, kind of doing their own thing. I'm trying to tell those stories. So for me, it was a matter of figuring, out, figuring my mission out. And I just thought years ago that I had one mission as a writer, which is to tell these stories as well as I possibly could. And so once I got that, the theme came forward. You know, this is my community. I love these people. So regardless of what, who the character is, what story is being told, because I love them, I'm always going to present them in a human way. It's not going to be this one-sided thing where they're all good or they're all bad. Yeah, right, There's a right. complexity there. In other words, to, to make it as simple as possible, to me, theme is your subject and how you feel about it. Well, my subject is New Orleans, and I love it. And so that is what controls my thematic content. Mm, that is such an interesting way to approach theme. I've heard theme kind of broken down in lots of different ways, um, but your subject and how you feel about it is such a, I, I can I can see how that opens up a specific clarity in the narrative. 
You know what I mean? Because there, there's um that that emotion carries through, I would imagine, as opposed to I think sometimes they're, you know, writers have a theme that are asking questions or they're trying to make a statement and and maybe there's not as much um connection, I want to say. I, I really like the way you've broken that down. That like makes sense in in my brain. We'll log it. One more thing with theme. Okay, so so here we are. Um I literally could just keep hearing you talk about story all day. I mean, like, I, I love the depth and just like, um, there's such a humanity. And, and, and I think that's why I was so excited to talk to you because I think I share that where I, I look at stories being such a human thing, um, something we share so deeply as humans. And so I was just so excited. I could listen to you talk all day. All that to say, I can't. Um, and we're kind of hitting the point of our show where I get to ask you my final question. So I ask the same questions to literally every single writer who's on the show. And I do it for two reasons. First reason is I love the answers and it's my show. So I can do whatever I want. Um, the second reason is the whole point of this show is to inspire and encourage people to find their way to put words on the page. That's it's, it's so important as a writer, you find your unique combination. And I've never had an author give two of the same answers. Everyone's different. They've all found their way to create. And I'm hoping these answers will you know, inspire and make you laugh or whatever, but also reinforce that idea that it's up to you to come up with how you put words on the page. That is up to you. And there's not one right way to do it. So with my preamble done, let me ask you my first question. And this is also the newest question, but I like it a lot, which is um, from your view, from your perspective, what is your role in this world as a storyteller? My role as a storyteller is to help people feel less alone in this world. I think that a lot of the problems we experience, whether it's personal anxiety and depression, or whether it's larger scale divisions within society between different groups of people, it comes from a failure to see each other. And so I'm just trying to tell the kinds of stories that make people more likely to see other people as the same as themselves. And Mm -hmm. I think that if we can have more of that in the world, we're a better species. That's such a beautiful answer. Okay. Question number two, what is the one word that best describes you? (laughs) Loving. Loving. I like that. You're the first person I think to say that very first question. Number three, if you had to pick a spirit book, right? So this is a book that, um, if you died and you were able to be reincarnated as a book, this is the book you would choose to be reincarnated reincarnated as. What book would that be? All right. This would be a little controversial to some people listening, but I'll explain. Okay. It would be um, Vladimir Nabokov's Lolita. Yeah. Um, that is a book I find fascinating because it is about a terrible man who does terrible things. Mm-hmm. And I think that over the decades, as it's been remade by men in particular, it's become more of a story about people in love, which is what it, it, it's not, it was not that initially. It's not about some man and some girl falling in love. It's about the way that abuse works. And within mm-hmm. the framework of that original novel, there's so much complex detail about how our minds work and our hearts work and the amazing language. And it's so snarky and like comedic <laughs> and ironic. Yeah. Um, all those things together to me is what I try and do in my writing. Um, in my novel particularly, I was very much drafting off that sort of spirit of that book. And I just think that 
I think that that kind of a story is less judgmental. It's not saying that what he did is right, but it's saying, look, this is what we need to understand about people like this, the good and the bad, and for the other characters in the book as well. And so for me, that book, it just does a lot of things that I haven't found anywhere else. Yeah. Yeah. It's one of the, um, I remember when I first started reading it, um, I, I think I started to read it just to be like, oh, I started to read it and I just, I didn't like it. And so I didn't finish it. And then I started and I was like, oh, this, this content and is so awful and it's so hard to read. And yet it's so good. It's just such an incredible story and narrative that I just got swept right away. Couldn't help it. Um, okay. Question number four, is there a specific tool? Can be anything at all, pencil, software, chair, coffee, tea, anything that you absolutely must have to write? Um, I, I think for me, in order to write, I have to feel, I mentioned loving early is my word. I feel like I'm in a loving place. And what I mean by that mm -hmm. is I can't be too anxious. I can't be unhappy. I need to be able to calm down and think, you know what? It's okay, Maurice. So it's not a physical thing. I used to have physical things a long time ago. I had a special pen, I had a special pad. And I found that if I didn't have those things, I couldn't right and i realized that was just bs it's more about yeah. a mental experience for me and so now it's just calm down look around you be appreciative and now i can write mm, i love that okay uh question number five how do you deal with the constant ups and downs of the writing life oh well it's just knowing that there are going to be a lot of ups and downs in the writing life <laughs> and i think when you have that sort of meta understanding of what you're inside of it's easier to deal with yeah um I think it's important to not get too high or too low. And I think for me, what's most important is the story itself. I really feel like if I'm doing the best I can in writing the stories, that's all that really matters. Everything else is secondary. You know, the pay, the notices you're getting, like papers, your people who read your work, appreciating it, those things will all come. But you should be loving your writing first and foremost. And that yeah. solves a lot of problems. Mm, yes. Yeah, I love that. Okay, last question for you. If you could give one piece of advice to new writers out there, what would it be? You need to be flexible and determined. So set a few goals for yourself, but understand there will be a lot of challenges that will require you to change your plans constantly. And so think long-term. Um, know that you shouldn't be knocked to the side because of small things. Just stick with it as long as you can. And eventually things will open up for you. Mm. What a wonderful way to wrap this up, Maurice. I so appreciate uh, being able to have you on the show and, you know, ask you, I'll pepper you all these questions and kind of go, I was hoping we could get into this, like, you know, this, this really like wonderful place and story and just kind of like unpack this thing. I, I know we both love so much and I appreciate your, your openness and just sharing so much. Um, before we go, where can people find you if they're like, all right, where is this guy online? Like where, where are your common haunts? Um, where do you hang out online? <laughs> yeah, I'm on Twitter at Maurice Ruffin. Okay. I'm on IG at Maurice Ruffin also. And I have a website, which is MauriceCarlosRuffin.com. And I have a newsletter that's coming out very soon. You can find that on Substack. Awesome. 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 Um, Maurice, thank you so much for your time. This was wonderful. And, um, I can't wait to, to, uh, let all this like percolate in my brain and hopefully have you back on the show again and keep, keep going down the rabbit hole. <laughs> Thank you, Brian. I really Thanks. enjoyed the experience.
Thank you again to Maurice for his time. If you haven't yet, my friends, please check me out on Instagram, happywriter underscore co. Also, I am on Twitter, where I found Maurice, at uh, the underscore Murphinator. Lastly, please, if you haven't yet, go leave me a rating and review. We are stuck at 149 reviews, most of them five stars, and I would just love to have 150. I don't know why. It's arbitrary. It's vain. I don't care. I want to see it. Anyways, thank you so much for listening, and I hope you have a wonderful, wonderful week of writing.